Thanks to your support, Patriot Mobile has emerged as one of the leaders in the parallel economy, and they have big news. Patriot Mobile now offers service with all three major networks. This means if you're with the big three and like the service but hate their values, you can access them with Patriot Mobile. They also offer a performance guarantee. So if you're not happy with your coverage, you can switch between the three major carriers for free. Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative wireless provider, offers nationwide coverage on the best 4G and 5G networks. So you get the same great service while supporting a company that fights to preserve our God-given rights and freedoms. Resolve now to stop supporting companies that don't align with your values. The Patriot Mobile 100% U.S.-based customer service team makes switching easy. Just visit PatriotMobile.com Dana or call them at 878-PATRIOT. Get free activation today with the offer code Dana. That's PatriotMobile.com Dana or call 878-PATRIOT. PatriotMobile.com Dana or call 878-PATRIOT. Do you know how many tweets were actually flagged and taken down at the behest of the Biden team? I wouldn't agree with the characterization of it as being at the behest of them. These tweets were reported and Twitter independently evaluated them under its but the, rules. But the, but the email is very clear. More to review from Biden team. The response three hours later at the bottom, hold this up real quick so you can see. The request at the bottom, it says, handled these. What does handled these mean? My understanding is that these tweets contained non-consensual nude photos of Hunter Biden, and they were removed by the company under... Hold on, real quick, Mr. Rob. How can you know so much about the content of these tweets? I mean, as far as I'm concerned, these are just web addresses. I don't know what's in these tweets. You have these things committed to memory that you know the content, but you don't know who you you talk to at the Biden team? Sir, I didn't meet with the Biden team, but there was extensive public reporting about these tweets specifically that uncovered what they were. You know the contents of the tweets. It was obviously at Twitter. But you have no idea how often people who worked in your organization had with the Biden team during the end of the 2020 president. Oh, Oh, my gosh. I'm just going to need to say a little quick prayer before we get started with the program today. Please, dear Lord Jesus, please put a holy and loving and discerning hand over my mouth because I am about to pop off over this audio soundbite. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Oh, my goodness. Welcome to the program. It feels like a Friday, but tis not. Dana Lash here, your uh, incredulous curmudgeon, uh, shocked at this audio that we're hearing that was byron donalds who's one of the funniest members of congress he's going to be joining us later on in the program and he's talking to yoel roth this was from some of the oversight this is some of the fun oversight stuff that you heard yesterday so he's talking with yoel roth who was the twitter head uh, head of twitter safety at one point and he's saying look uh, you know what do you mean handle these etc and roth can i just hear that one can you just isolate what did how, what did he how did he call it the non- consensual photos, Hunter, naked photos of Hunter Biden. How did he say it? Yeah, that's what he said. The non-consensual. Non-consensual. The characterization of it as being at the behest of them. These tweets were reported and Twitter independently evaluated them under its but the, rules. But the, but the email is very clear. More to review from Biden team. Mm-hmm. The response three hours later at the bottom, hold this up real quick so you can see. The request at the bottom, it says, handled these. What does handled these mean? My understanding is that these tweets contained non-consensual nude photos of Hunter Biden, 
and they were removed by the company. Under well, real quick, Mr. Roth, how could you know so much about the content of these tweets? I mean, as far as I'm concerned, so just, you know, just let me let me get this. The non-consensual. Let's all, I, I'm so sorry to do this to you guys because it's, you know, at my time, I don't know, you know, what time it is in your time zone because you can hear the radio program from Sea to Shining Sea and you can stream us. Some some people save us the, the archive of the show and they listen to the, listen to it as a podcast later in the day. Maybe perhaps you're watching the simulcast on YouTube, on Facebook or uh, on through the first on channel 349 direct TV. So I'm so sorry, no matter when you were listening, how you were listening, where you are, I will advise, because I have to describe it, if you are chewing anything, maybe don't chew anything else and swallow that first. Because the consensual photos, oh my gosh, this is my job. Or the, sorry, the non-consensual photos. Did, did Hunter take naked photos of himself against his own will? Did he force himself to take naked photos of himself and then distribute that. Because I go back to, well, I mean, who could forget, Kane, the Renaissance artistic photograph that was him pulling the hair of a hooker as he bent her over C-shaped style over a bed, and he grinned with his weird teeth into the camera. It was a selfie he took of himself. Selfie himself. I mean, I don't know who was the forcing him to do... Or, I mean, let us not forget the art house video of him sitting in a deprivation tank, completely not deprived, with crack pipe in hand, drink, and then, of course, his phone. Giving his flabby, flaccid body a sickly green hue because of the deprivation tank and the light. I mean, that who could forget that, right? I mean, there's, there's so many choices. What about where he's just standing in the doorway in a robe with nothing else? That's nasty. I mean, when you say the word non-consensual, you're implying that, A, you didn't take the photos of yourself, like in this instance... Yoel Roth is implying that Hunter Biden did not take the photos that Hunter Biden took of himself. So that's number one. You're implying that it was done somehow against his will. At this point, I would have used my time to really just drill down on that. I just this is this is fascinating. So they were lying. And saying trying to use this. Oh, it was non-consensual. It was hacked materials. Again, let us remind everyone that the man with four names, John Paul Mac Isaac, John Mac Paul, John Paul Mac Isaac, Isaac Mac John Paul, four names, four first names. He has four first names. He's the guy who owns the computer repair shop. He is the guy to whose shop Hunter Biden brought said laptop. It is to John Paul Mac Isaac that Hunter signed over consent to access every single aspect of his laptop, his hard drive, everything. And it is on said form that Hunter Biden signed that went to the man with four names, John Paul MacIsaac, who owns the computer repair shop. Again, we established to which he took the laptop in question. It is to that repair shop owner that he signed away any ownership rights privileges, 
complaints thereof of, again, said laptop after 90 days. Because after 90 days, it is considered abandoned and no longer his property. And he, with his own hand and fingers and muscular and skeletal system and brain activity, signed said consent form and handed it all over, which is how all of this information became part of the public realm. So that is an incorrect hot take from Yoel Roth. That is not in any way correct. What happened is Cracky McCrack smokes a lot, forgot his laptop, probably in a crack-induced rage, blacked out, who knows, maybe... It was, maybe it was in his dad's garage next to all of the classified information. He forgets the laptop and then he's mad now and wants to, rec- wants to retcon history. That's not how it works. And as Kane reminds, that's the same Yoel Roth, by the way, who wouldn't take down child pornography even after a family sued. But you know why they did it? Because Hunter Biden is the 50-something-year-old crackhead son of the President of the United States, and he has to be protected like a giant, moronic infant. Golly. And so that is the truth of the matter. That's the truth of the matter. And Yola Roth can sit here and say, well, non concerned It's one of the stupidest things I've ever heard. So that is how that's going, that whole thing. There were some fireworks that took place yesterday. There's a lot of stuff that happened yesterday. So that's just one of the things. So we're going to continue with that because here in a minute, because you had a lot of very interesting sound bites from this. This was this House oversight hearing that took place uh, yesterday, and it was focusing specifically on October 20th of 2020, because that is when Twitter started locking down accounts for that New York Post story about said Hunter Biden laptop, all to affect an election. So that's the truth of it. Now, also happening, because there's a number of things taking place of which you need to be aware. So apparently, I think we find out today what's going on with Project Veritas. And I am infuriated, and that is a soft way of saying enraged, So if you haven't been following everything that's been going on with Project Veritas, Project Veritas, you know, which uh, spearheaded the brainchild of James O'Keefe and they, uh, I mean, they've, they've done, they've had, there's been a, a long investigative history. The undercover investigations, the latest videos with Pfizer and so much more. Well, now apparently there is some palace intrigue going on. And right after they've done this amazing, you know, video series on Pfizer, they just, I mean, I guess the board decides to step all over themselves. So apparently what's ended up happening is that they put James O'Keefe on leave and stripped him of all authority at Project Veritas. Now, I'm following this because I'm a donor, in full disclosure, to the tune of thousands of dollars, thousands of dollars to Project Veritas because I support James's work. I've known James for well over a decade. And I think the board at I know that they have separate structures and there's a lot of restrictions about who to, can contact who and who can talk to whom, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They have it set up uh, as a C3, 501C3 and a 501C4. And the C3, which is the 
uh, so it, that's, uh, you know, the tax deductible that's, you know, has most of the money. And then the C4 is not is is not that it's very they're very different structures. Uh, but it sounds like it was just a, a, a poor board structure. And that allowed them to kind of what I what I view is kind of like a hostile takeover in a way. I mean, really. So this whole thing, this whistleblower apparently said that, uh, put it out that O'Keefe has been put on leave, stripped of authority at Project Veritas, and that it's this hostile takeover because they have two separate organizations, the C3, few board members, there's like five, six board members on the C3 and the C4, more board members, but they don't have as much money. And so they've had two ringleaders, allegedly, try to move to push O'Keefe out. And the board members include Matt Tiermand, T-Y-R-M-A-N-D, who is being accused of being the ringleader, John Garvey, George Skakel, Joseph Barton, roll my eyes at that one, Steve Alambic, and, and that, that was not the congressman by any stretch of the word. And then you have the CFO, Tom O'Hara, and then Barry Hinckley, who's apparently a guy who also uses pronouns on his uh, LinkedIn bio. And so the word is that they had this big struggle session the other day. And I guess the words that's supposed to come today, whether or not they're going to shut him out. So you've probably, if you follow me on social media, I've been kind of going off a little bit about this because I, I just find this absolutely ridiculous that, you know, you're going to step all over yourself at a situation like this at, at a time like this. So this is what, this is kind of what is one of the things that's been happening too. And we're going to continue to watch that. And then additionally, a lot of stuff happening. This this huge explosive story about who took out the Nord Stream pipeline. And we're going to deep dive into this because this is a geopolitical issue and we're going to be very clinical about it. So we've got this. I've got all kinds of Green New Deal stuff, wokery. And then coming up, we're going to be speaking with Congressman Byron Donalds. And then later on, Rodney Scott, who used to run Border Patrol under the uh, Trump and Biden administration. He left in 2021. Uh, he's going to be able to talk about some of this, to, uh, some of the stuff at the border as well. So we got a lot coming at you today. Friends, 2022 is history. Have you thought about what you'll do in 2023? How you will make it better than last year? Every new year is a new opportunity. So I have a great way for you to make the most of this one. This year, resolve to become a better educated American. And the good folks at Hillsdale College have made their amazing online courses free for all all who wish to learn. And my challenge to you is just take one of their fantastic courses. You can discover the beauty of the Bible in the Genesis story, or study the writings of C.S. Lewis, or explore the true meaning of America in Constitution 101. There are many more to choose from, and all these self-paced free courses feature Hillsdale faculty and scholars. Visit Dana4FORHillsdale.com and pick one of more than 30 free Hillsdale courses. I hope you'll accept my challenge and resolve to be a more educated American in 2023. Pick whichever course you like at Dana4Hillsdale.com and start your free online course today. That's Dana4FORHillsdale.com. And now, all of the news you would probably miss. It's time for Dana's Quick Five, brought to you by Caltech. Mm -mm -mm. All right, so finally, the sweet meteor of death. You think I'm joking, but I honestly do think that the best way for everybody to just, you know, slide off this mortal coil is from a flaming hot rock that just plows right into the planet and splits it all into gravel. So a kilometer-wide asteroid could potentially crash into, potentially, don't promise me things and not deliver, crash into Earth's orbit next week. 
Uh, apparently, NASA, according to Brit- a first a British publication, came out with this. Now it's over on an astronomy website. They're keeping an eye on an asteroid. It's days away from colliding with Earth, and it's a kilometer wide. The space rock, categorized as a near-Earth object, may collide, they said. Again, with the exaggeration. It's it's known as, well, very catchy name, 199145, 2005YY128. is so large that its width ranges from anywhere from 1,870 feet to 4,265 feet. It's going to be two, almost three million miles from Earth when it's closest to it. NASA's not confident if it's actually going to crash into Earth's orbit or if it causes damage should it do that. So far, they haven't said anything else about any kind of collision, which is, you know, sad. Don't tease. George Santos' response to Mitt Romney's confrontation, we're going to talk more about this later. He says, quote, it wasn't very Mormon of him. Oh, I think it's actually, I think that's funny that he said that. Uh, let's see, Burt Bacharach. Burt Bacharach? Bacharach. Is that like the, isn't that what, like in the 80s, everybody ate off crystal? Is that the same kind of Bacharach? That's different, isn't it? I'm pretty sure I'm going to so get mail on this. Anyway, uh, he, uh, he, he, oh, he did the Raindrops Fall on My Head song. Shut up. I know he's a very talented songwriter. I know it's sad, but this also kicks off my grandma's rule of three. Uh-oh. Stay with us. How do you say I love you with flowers, chocolate? Can jewelry really express true love? Because in the end, they all fall short. The only thing that can completely communicate the depths of your affection this Valentine's Day is meat. And not just any meat, though. Over 85% of grass-fed beef sold is imported from overseas. Ew. And that's why it has to be Good Ranchers 100% American hand-trimmed steakhouse quality meat delivered directly to your door. Right now, get $30 off any box from Good Ranchers with code DANA. Now, this gift is sure to add some sizzle. Whether on the grill or in a pan, nothing simmers like prime cuts of beef, pasture-raised chicken, and premium quality seafood. Visit GoodRanchers.com and ditch the usual boring gifts that just don't cut it. Say I love you with American meat instead. Snag your $30 off with code Dana at GoodRanchers.com today. Love is in the air and it smells just like you guessed it. Good Ranchers. Save $30 on your unique gift this Valentine's Day by visiting GoodRanchers.com. Good Ranchers. American meat delivered. The Watchdog on Wall Street podcast with Chris Markowski. Every day, Chris helps unpack the connection between politics and the economy and how it affects your wallet. What's the biggest factor hovering over the American economy? It's foreign policy. Between Chinese surveillance and Russian aggression, these geopolitical concerns are huge risks to our financial markets. How should you react? The Watchdog on Wall Street explains. Whether it's happening in D.C. or down on Wall Street, it's affecting you financially. Be informed. Check out the Watchdog on Wall Street podcast with Chris Markowski on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Listen to The Dana Show live on the Odyssey app, weekdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern Time. People could and did talk about the contents of the laptop on Twitter or anywhere else, including other much larger platforms, but they were prevented from sharing the primary documents on Twitter. Still, over the course of that day, it became clear that Twitter had not fully appreciated the impact of that policy on free press and others. As Mr. Dorsey testified before Congress on multiple occasions, Twitter changed its policy within 24 hours and admitted its initial action was wrong. This policy revision immediately allowed people to tweet the original articles with the embedded source materials. Relying on its long-standing practice not to retroactively apply new policies, Twitter informed the New York Post that it could immediately begin tweeting when it deleted the original tweets, which would have freed them to retweet. To delete the original tweets this is one of the uh, execs 
Vijaya Gatti, who is testifying yesterday about the suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop story on the Twitters. Welcome back to the program. Bottom of our first hour here. Dana Lash with you. And the, the you know why this is so incredibly important? Because this is just more example of them interfering. This is an in-kind political donation. This is an in-kind political donation. Full stop. There's no debate about this. I mean, that's it. They suppressed information to give an assist to the Biden administration. Now, wait until you hear this. This is just rich. From Catherine Harridge, Hunter Biden's attorney, Abby Lowell, now responds to the GOP Oversight Committee's request for records and suggests meeting to include the committee's ranking member. She says, while your letter attempts to demonstrate legislative purpose for investigating Mr. Biden, it fails nevertheless to address that the committee's scope of oversight is limited when dealing with private persons like our client Lowell wrote to the chairman. Rather than engage in a back and forth letter writing campaigns or formal proceedings, I would offer to sit with you and your staff, including the ranking member and his staff, to see whether Mr. Biden has information that may inform some legitimate legislative purpose and be helpful to the committee. I hope that you will engage in this effort. He's not special. He's not precious. He's a failed to launch crackhead who has mired his father's administration and his dad by being a bad dad in all of this drama because he can't stop recording his making his own porn and smoking crack on camera. I mean, how hard is this? It's not hard to not do all that stuff and put it on camera guys it's not hard (sighs) he's not a he's not a protected class here and it is incredibly insightful and we need transparency i think they should subpoena him let's quit playing around we can make it easy or we can make it real easy no but we don't got time for this no i have time for this back and forth bs we're owed answers get answers Subpoena him, make him come up, drag them up, put them, make them swear under oath and put them in front of the committee because this is enough. You know, they, they hid stories, suspended people, permanently closed accounts because people were sharing factual reporting. Hunter Biden did this to himself and he expects daddy, the big guy, to clean it all up. He's the one who did it. And his dad enables this stuff. I'm sorry, what kind of father are you to sit here and enable this stuff? I mean, clearly there are issues. Whether it's with Ashley Biden or with Hunter Biden now, there's some serious issues happening here. And people are owed answers. I mean, we were, we, they, we were told, and this is, this is why it's important. Let us not forget There were 51 intelligence agents who signed a letter claiming that this was a Russian op. Oh, they're trying to rob the election. No, you guys are trying to influence the election. 51 intelligence officials said this was an op. Now, you know, when you guys went to that level, you made it what it is. When you accused average everyday people of sharing Russian misinformation, when you had everyone from CIA, DOJ, DNI, 
Everybody, FBI, all signing this letter saying that this is a Russian op misinformation campaign and that people who are taking part in it are, are helping it? Oh, no, no, no. No, 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 chick. You lost the ability to have a little private one-on-one tete-a-tete. This has to be done publicly with full transparency. Because y'all decided to pull in the alphabet agencies of everybody that Big Daddy could pull in. Well, now you got to answer to the public for it. He's not a protected class. He is not a special citizen. And he has to answer for what he's done. He did this. Everyone got smeared. Their characters impugned. People were permanently suspended. They had their reputations drugged through the mud. The victims here are everyone who had to put up with this fat-ass crackhead taking pictures of himself, pulling on hooker's hair, and, and you know, everything else. I can't even say half of it on air. We're the ones. We are the victims. We're the people who had to endure it. We're the ones who had to see the tea-stained teeth of Hunter Biden staring down the camera while he was in front of the camera, open robe, flabby and flaccid. We're the ones who had to endure it. We are the ones who had to be told the headlines of all these videos. He's in the deprivation tank. He's done this. 10% to the big guy. He's so mad. Throwing a gun in a trash can. All this other stuff. We are the victims. We have been victimized by this family, particularly by this 50-something-year-old baby precious protected special class honor Biden. Tired of it. And you ought to be as well. So no, Abby Lowell doesn't get to pretend that her client, well, we're, we're the clients of the House Oversight Committee. And you're going to come in and you're going to have a few words publicly so all of our clients can see it. If they agree to anything but... Ooh, anything but. It's unacceptable. Now, I was, I was, t- I was telling you earlier, uh, James O'Keefe, Project Veritas, all kinds of palace intrigue. He apparently was, was put on leave. New York Magazine came out with a stupid hit piece on him. They've tried doing this. They tried doing this to them, to James O'Keefe. Something like, um, gosh, uh, back in 2012, I think, is when they tried doing this before they tried doing a hit piece on him. And it just... Uh, it, it just it's goofy and i noticed at no point in this trash hit piece did they mention because they, they were talking about the ashley biden diary and they have a, a meeting they're scheduled they're going to be talking about you know i guess the future he is project veritas all of these he is project veritas everybody who is on this board is just riding the coattails of his instincts and gumption I've known James for over a decade. And I I was reading, too, because Lorraine was putting in some of the trash that they've been writing about him. It's so ridiculous that they because some of this is centering on the Ashley Biden diary. So if you're unfamiliar with that, the I think the, the feds are trying to put pressure on Project Veritas. I think it's more because some people are asking, well, is it Pfizer? Is it Pfizer? I don't actually think it's Pfizer. I don't think it's that. I think that it's the board who they're morons. I said it. And and I'm a donor. I can say whatever. You guys, I mean, they've been, the, the, the board who's making these decisions are probably buying their lunch today with some of the thousands of dollars I've given them. So the Ashley Biden diary, it sounds like it's the feds that are putting pressure on them for this. And the board members are weak and they're folding. That's what it sounds like. Now, if you're unfamiliar with that, Ashley Biden, who is literally, she's my age. I cannot imagine me writing in a damn diary like live journal style. 
Like you're what? Get a jobby job. Remember when Biden said in one of his speeches that she was some kind of social worker? She hasn't been a social worker for like half a decade. I don't even know if she's worked. But she had this diary that was in the mattress of some flop house. Remember this? Because she had a drug problem and all this stuff. And it was in that diary that she wrote about taking showers with her dad. And it probably gave her like some kind of like sexual baggage, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of weird questions. See, because this family are a bunch of freaks that they do these things and their kids write about all of it. And then it just makes it to where it's they, you know, they 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 have compromised them. And. Somehow there were people who got who got the got the she left it. She was the same way that Hunter Biden sort of just abandoned his laptop. She left it at a halfway house. Apparently she didn't put it in storage. She literally left it in a flop house mattress. And they tried to lie and say someone broke in and stole it out of storage. She did not have this thing in storage. She literally had it on a dirty mattress. I have to quote a Lauren Hill song here. She, I mean, had it in a flophouse mattress. And so, I don't know. It, apparently, someone got it. They ended up selling it to Project Veritas. And it ended up getting leaked by another entity. And James, what the magazine completely left out, he was the one who urged caution and handed it to the FBI. Now, what's funny is the FBI, and I think that what James did shows that he has more instincts than the board, because apparently some people on the board were so upset that they had spent money and done this, and then he handed over. Well, look, sometimes that happens in this business. Sometimes it happens. He was saying, well, we, uh, we want to make sure that we can, you know, we can uh, confirm the veracity of this, etc. But by handing it over to the FBI, making the FBI aware of it, the FBI gobbling it up, and then reacting the way they did, they confirmed it. He didn't need to do a thing. It was already leaked out there. He had an, there was another entity that leaked it. He had the FBI confirm it by taking it and then reacting the way he did. James did everything that he needed to do without actually doing it. It was a brilliant move. And the board, instead of being morons, should be recognizing this. Because I will not get, if Project Veritas without James is nothing. And I will not give that organization a damn dime. And I will go after them six ways to Sunday. I will consider them just another enemy op. I don't have time for this stuff. I, don't, I, I hate conservatives that bring their garbage out to public. Rat bastards that bring their garbage out to public and they betray people who work 10 times harder than they do. I cannot stand those people. They're clingers. They're grifters. I have nothing nice that I can say on public airwaves about them. God help them if I ever run across them in public. Ridiculous. I get mad about this because everybody should be talking about the videos that he's done with Pfizer. And instead, what are they talking about? These goofballs sitting on the board doing this stuff now at this time. And one of the articles was saying that, uh, oh, he's a tough boss. He demands perfection. He once stole a staffer's sandwich. Oh, my gosh, that your sandwich is so much more important than the future of the republic. Are you going to live? Were you murdered? I was murdered. It sounds like, and I, it does, sounds like, um, Lorraine said it sounds like the board's trying to invent excuses. I agree. Yeah. Someone was saying that uh, they thought he was, that he was uh, too hard and uh, that he was uh, kind of a bully of a boss. It sounds like these people are pansies. That's what it sounds like. And he was really worried about leaks. Wow. Way to prove his point. 
With conservatives like you, who needs Democrats? And I say conservatives very weakly. I, oh, man, I get mad. I would love to tell them off if I ever ran across them. But that's what I'm not. I have voicemails from them asking for money because I've donated a lot of money. I've got emails. I'm going to call one of them back after radio. Because I'm just I'm it. This is so ridiculous and so stupid. They tried going after him back in 2012 with some something dumb and it didn't pan out. They've tried every which way to go after him because he's very effective. There are only a handful of conservative reporters who actually do investigative work among them. Him, Luke Rosiak and Julio Rosas. Very few. Very, very few. There are a couple more. And that's pretty much it. Everyone else just sits and aggregates the same damn story over and over again. I can't, I mean, they all, that's, it's basically a bunch of editorials and they take AP stories and they just aggregate it and they rewrite them. Or they'll put maybe a little editorialization in there. They actually do original work and he's got, I mean, this is like million dollar video. And this is what the organization is doing. And the left is having a field day with it. I guess, you know, better that this happens now than right before the election. You know, where everybody can focus on this, you know, right. But instead of focusing on whatever October surprise comes out. But I just find this incredibly uh, disappointing. Always be wary of conservatives who attack other conservatives publicly. And I know most of the people who've done it. And it's been my experience. They are some of the shadiest people out there. Black Rifle Coffee Company set out on a mission to make the best cup of coffee that's ever hit your mug. And I think they've hit that mission straight on. Their dream has been to sell enough premium coffee to build a support network for veterans, first responders, and law enforcement. And thanks to your support, that dream has come true. Black Rifle Coffee is roasted by a veteran-led team of brilliant coffee graders who work tirelessly to roast and bag the highest quality coffee here in America. And the coffee is truly one of a kind and my favorite. Your support has helped Black Rifle Coffee Company expand their team of active duty service members, veterans, and veteran family members. And they were able to donate over 120,000 bags of coffee to veterans and first responders in 2022. Visit blackriflecoffee.com Dana and use my code Dana at checkout for 20% off your purchase and your first coffee club order. That's blackriflecoffee.com slash Dana. Use code Dana and also look for Black Rifle Coffee in grocery and convenience stores. Black Rifle Coffee, America's coffee. Red meat, black coffee, truth telling. The Dana Show. They'd rather go investigate President Biden's family and laptops. What? Did he just admit that, that that was Hunter Biden's laptop? That's Hakeem Jeffries, by the way. It seems like he did. He accidentally admits it, that it's Hunter's laptop. Thanks, Hakeem. Thank you. Yay. All right. Welcome back to the program. We're getting ready to roll into our second hour, and we've been hitting a lot of stuff. We've had the uh, Twitter laptop suppression hearings, and then there's the panel today, so they've been uh, holding... Uh, oversight hearings on the weaponization of the DOJ, right? And so the uh, Republican chairman, he has made the first request. He was o- over foreign business pursuits, and then they were getting into uh, the DOJ, etc. I mean, there's a lot going on. And so we're going to follow all of that and bring that to you. And then also today, the House had voted unanimously to, well, duh, formally condemn China for its use of a surveillance balloon. Now, there's a lot of things coming out about, and I've got a a number of headlines about this for you, uh, because apparently it carried antennas and other equipment to gather intelligence, according to uh, our government. 
and it wasn't flagged as urgent originally. This coming from a classified report, it wasn't flagged as urgent, and it's drawn a lot of criticism as a result of this. Now, with this, the United States is now being accused, along with Norway, of destroying the Nord Stream pipeline after their invasion of Ukraine, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. It's a report that says Navy divers carried out the mission to kill Russia's stranglehold on Europe. We're going to talk about this because the rhetoric that is heating up, let's cut through it. All that and more coming up in our second hour. Stay with us back after this. Just possessing classified documents is, you said, totally irresponsible. So what was totally irresponsible about the fact that you had some? What they've informed me not to speak to this issue to any way, try to prejudice the investigation. And we can't speak about the issue. I'm not supposed to speak about the classified. But they, but he says in thir- audio sent by 13, yes, but they, they, they seem to be mine. Yes. Made voluntarily. No one's had to threaten to do anything. Voluntarily open every single aperture I have with the house, offices, everything, for them to come and look and spend hours searching my home. Invited them. Nobody. And so, and the best of my knowledge, the kinds of things they picked up were things that from... 1974 and stray papers there may be something else i don't know and i mean i'm pretty sure there's probably a lot you know but okay yeah right. welcome back to the program your lovable curmudgeon dana lash here with you there's a lot of stuff happening because we've got house, house oversight hearings ongoing and there's some you know stuff coming out from that we have this issue uh, with the the twitter stuff still then of course there's we were talking about the project veritas stuff the drama and then of course the ongoing classified that'll be interesting and i hope that we have some i mean there needs to be questions apparently they were actually going to look at pence's place that that came out uh what last earlier this week i believe all right so a number of things to hit on and and one of those is this insane story that i am following from my hometown and There's a a guy online, Billboard Chris, that has the story of it. It is a bombshell, and it is sensitive, just so you know. Very sensitive in nature, because it has to do uh, with, I mean, it's a crazy story. It has to do with St. Louis Children's Hospital gender clinic. That's That's in our hometown. That's crazy. That's in our hometown. Gender clinic. And so it's, it's uh, Barry Weiss's publication. And it says, I thought, the headline is, I thought I was saving trans kids. Now I'm blowing the whistle. There are more than 100 pediatric gender clinics around the U.S. And this individual says that she worked at one. And what is happening to children is morally and medically appalling. Jamie Reed wrote this story. And I want to share it with you because this is, this is in our hometown. She writes, for almost four years, I worked at the Washington University School of Medicine Division of Infectious Diseases with teens and young adults who were HIV positive. Many of them were trans or otherwise gender nonconforming. And I could relate, she writes, through childhood and adolescence, I did a lot of gender questioning myself. She adds, I'm now married to a trans man and we are raising my two biological children from a previous marriage and three foster children we hope to adopt. And she says that all of that led me to a job in 2018 as a case manager at the Washington University Transgender Clinic 
Transgender Center at St. Louis Children's Hospital, which had been established a year earlier. She adds the center's working assumption was that the earlier you treat kids with gender dysphoria, the more anguish you can prevent later on. And this premise was shared by the center's doctors and therapists. Given their expertise, Reed wrote, I assumed that abundant evidence backed this consensus. Reed says that during the four years I worked at the clinic as a case manager, I was responsible for patient intake and oversight. Around a thousand distressed young people came through our doors. The majority of them received hormone prescriptions that can have life-altering consequences, including sterility. Reed adds that she left the clinic in November of last year because I could no longer participate in what was happening there. By the time I departed, I was certain the way the American medical system is treating these patients is the opposite of the promise we make to do no harm. Instead, we are permanently harming the vulnerable patients in our care. Reed writes, today I'm speaking out and I'm doing so knowing how toxic the public conversation is around this highly contentious issue and the ways my testimony might be misused. I'm doing so knowing that I'm putting myself at serious personal and professional risk. She adds, almost everyone in my life advised me to keep my head down, but I cannot in good conscience do so because what is happening to scores of children, it's far more important than my comfort. And what is happening to them is morally and medically appalling. She gets into what she saw after she arrived at the transgender center, how she writes, I was struck by the lack of formal protocols for treatment. The center's physician co-directors were essentially the sole authority. And she said, at first, the patient population was tipped toward what used to be the traditional instance of a child with gender dysphoria, a boy, often quite young, who wanted to present, who wanted to be a girl. She wrote that until 2015 or so, a very small number of these boys comprised the population of pediatric gender dysphoria cases. And that then across the Western world, there was a dramatic increase in a new population Teenage girls with no previous history at all of gender distress suddenly declared they were transgender and demanded immediate treatment with testosterone. And she said she saw this at the center. There were 10 calls a month, she wrote, and then when she left, there were 50 and 70% of new patients were girls, sometimes clusters from the same high school. And she said it was concerning, but she didn't feel like she was in the position to sound some kind of alarm back then. She said, there was a team, about eight of us, and only one other person thought the kinds of questions that I had. Anyone who raised doubts ran the risk of being called a transphobe. And the girls, she said, who came to us had many comorbidities, depression, anxiety, ADHD, eating disorders, obesity. Many were diagnosed with autism or had autism-like symptoms. A report last year on the British Pediatric Gender Center found that one-third of the patients referred there were on the autism spectrum. And she said, frequently our, our patients declare they had disorders no one believed they had. Like they would say they had Tourette's and they didn't, or they had tic disorders and they didn't. They had multiple personalities, but they didn't. The doctor, she wrote, privately recognized these false self-diagnoses as a manifestation of social contagion. They even acknowledged that suicide has an element of social contagion. But when I said the clusters of girls streaming in our service looked as if their gender issues might be a manifestation of social contagion, she said the doctor said gender identity reflected something innate. And that all girls needed was a letter of support from a therapist. And they only had to see them once or twice and then they get the green light and then all of a sudden they get a letter in support of transition and then they go to an endocrinologist and they get testosterone. And that's all it took, she said. And when a female takes testosterone, the profound and permanent effects can be seen in a matter of months. She writes, voices drop, beards sprout, body fat is, redistribute, is redistributed, sexual interest explodes, aggression increases, mood is unpredictable. And that's on top of being teenagers who are still growing with their hormones. 
She says, after working at the center, I came to believe that teenagers are not capable of fully grasping what it means to make the decision to become willingly infertile while still a minor. This is what I say. There's no informed consent. None. There's no informed consent. She gets into gender dysphoria and how the experiences of the patients at the center, they downplay the negative consequences. They emphasize the need for trans for transitioning and how on one email, she said one time a colleague emailed her about a 15-year-old male patient saying, I'm concerned the patient does not understand what this medication by Cal, you, I don't even, can't even say it, to my does. And Reed responds, I don't think that we start any, honestly anything right now. You treat uh, prostate cancer with that drug, prostate cancer, and it feminizes the bodies of men who take it. It gives them breasts. And the center was prescribing it as a puberty blocker and a feminizing agent for boys. And it has a ton of side effects, including liver toxicity. They're giving this kind of stuff to kids. She said patients, how little they understood, was illustrated by a call they received at the center in 2020 from a 17-year-old biological female patient on testosterone. She said she was bleeding. Like men, like almost menstrually, but she said it was uh, more, un, she said in less than an hour, she soaked through an extra heavy pad, her jeans, a towel she had wrapped around her waist. She was told to go to the emergency room right away because see testosterone thins vaginal tissues and her vaginal canal, I'm just going to say it had been ripped open. This is a side effect of what they're doing to kids with these, with these drugs and hormones. She had to be sedated and given surgery to repair the damage. I mean, it is, there are so many things that the, she gets into the side effects. She gets into how these patients are neglected and mentally ill. And that their caseload is, was pretty much almost nothing but disturbed young people. And that it is, it, this is horrible. She said that there was no rights for parents at the center. In Missouri, only one parent's consent is required for treatment of their child. If there's a dispute, the center always takes the aside of the affirming parent. In 2019, she writes there was a custody case where a father and mother were arguing over whether or not to start their 11-year-old daughter, 11-year-old daughter on puberty blockers. The mother was convinced that the child was trans because the child was a tomboy. And the mother said no when she was asked if the if they, the daughter had adopted a boy's name if she was distressed as she said she felt like a boy. And when Reed told her the girl didn't meet the criteria for evaluation. And then the mother called back and said, oh no, now she's totally in distress over her body. She uses the boy's name once to transition. The girl was prescribed a puberty blocker to prevent her healthy, normal development. The father disagreed, said it was all coming from the mother. The judge sided with the mother ultimately. She gets into... Uh, removing your breast, this, the top surgery that they so cutely call what really is happening. This is a horrifying account. They are attacking this woman. She even goes after Dr. Rachel Levine, the, the D- Department of Health and Human Services. And she said that her response about giving kids hormones and drugs for gender dysphoria, she said, quote, I felt stunned and sickened. Let me tell you this. I think this woman is incredibly brave. 
And when you have someone who, I mean, she's, uh, I mean, she's a gay female. She's married to a woman who identifies as a man. She said a trans man. And she worked at one of these centers and left. When you have someone who is like this, who is speaking out, that's when you really need to drop everything and listen. Because consider how toxic our culture is today. Disagreement is is tantamount to betrayal. And she is so concerned by what she has seen with these kids and the permanent damage that is being done. She is literally risking her reputation. Maybe, I mean, you've seen some of how crazy some of these activists are, maybe even her life, who knows, by speaking out like this. And they're already going after her. And she has a lot of authority here. You, this is something you must, you should listen to. And the left, if they were not so damn tribal, they would too. This is unbelievable. And this is happening in St. Louis at Children's Hospital. I never thought I'd see the day. That's not health care. It's just cruel. And now, all of the news you would probably miss. It's time for Dana's Quick Five, brought to you by Caltech. Hmm, couple stories here. So killer whale mothers make lifelong sacrifices for their whale sons, according to some the study on orcas, because they say it's more exhausting <laughs> to raise the boys than it is the girls. I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, this it was they they said orca mothers provide more support to their sons and daughters, especially after the latter reach adulthood. That's kind of nice. It was researchers from Exeter, New, uh, York, and Cambridge Universities in the Center for Whale Research. So they've been studying orcas for a number of years. There's a lot of adorable photos in this, but mm-hmm. uh, very cute. Uh, also, let's see a couple of other things here. The free for all. Biden's going to let hundreds of thousands of illegal entrants cross the border into the United States under a plan that would see mass deportations of non-Mexicans to Mexico. So that might they might expel Venezuelan, Nicaraguan, Haitian, and Cuban migrants as they are as they expand what they're calling this parole process, with being fast tracked into the U.S. Mm. Uh, Walt Disney. So Nelson Peltz is like one of the big uh, shareholders in Disney, and he's had this proxy war with Bob Iger, and I I think Peltz is now victorious. So now Disney is agreed to axe 7,000 jobs. Iger's going to step, they're they're all stepping down. Five and a half billion dollars in a cost-cutting plan as well. That's pretty amazing. So they're they're a, a significant transformation he's back as chief executive they said they got a a significant transformation and chapik was the one who was dismissed by the board earlier and they needed to cut costs because it's i mean it's been this has been they've had just a disaster of uh non-stop bad pr but uh yeah bob Iger, he's going to step down within two years and they're announcing seven thousand job cuts to save five and a half billion dollars that's wild uh, also, uh, let's see, wholesale egg prices. Hmm. According to new data from Ernerberry, a market research firm that tracks wholesale food prices, the egg index has plunged 57% since peaking at $4.65 per dozen on December 19th. Whole prices are now a little over $2. That may not be reflected in retail prices, though it looks like they have likely peaked, though. Yeah, we'll see. We're still suspicious. Yellowstone. I don't know how I feel about this. Kevin Costner is going to apparently step back. He's got a passion project he's going to do. And Taylor Sheridan is eyeing a franchise extension with Matthew McConaughey. 
So that looks like that's something apparently that Paramount has said uh, is kind of given some indication to Deadline Hollywood about. Coming up, Congressman Byron Donalds on all these hearings and more. Stick with us. Your one-stop shop for the information you need to fight back. If you're going to have to learn stuff, you might as well enjoy it. The Dana Show. Do you know how many tweets were actually flagged and taken down at the behest of the Biden team? I wouldn't agree with the characterization of it as being at the behest of them. These tweets were reported and Twitter independently evaluated them under its but the, rules. But the, but the email is very clear. More to review from Biden team. The response three hours later at the bottom, hold this up real quick so you can see. The request at the bottom, it says, handled these. What does handled these mean? My understanding is that these tweets contained non-consensual nude photos of Hunter Biden, and they were removed by the company under... Hold on, real quick, Mr. Roth. How could you know so much about the content of these tweets? I mean, as far as I'm concerned, these are just web addresses. I don't know what's in these tweets. You have these things committed to memory that you know the content, but you don't know who you talk to you talk to at the Biden team? Sir, I didn't meet with the Biden team, but there was extensive public reporting about these tweets specifically that uncovered what they you were. You know the contents of the tweets. I, it was obviously at Twitter, but you have no idea how often people who worked in your organization had with the Biden team during the end of the 2020 president. Ooh, ooh. That was that was some really, really uh, interesting questioning. Welcome back to the program. Dana Lash here with you. Bottom of our second hour, and you can listen coast to coast. Sea to shining sea across the fruited plains on an affiliate and a market near you, including all over Florida, all over Texas, everywhere. You can also watch the simulcast on YouTube, Facebook, or DirecTV Channel 349 via The First. And that was Congressman Byron Donalds, who's going to join us here uh, in just a moment. He's on the Oversight Committee. He's uh, out there, Southwest Florida's 19th District. And uh, he is on the Oversight Committee. He was there questioning Yoel Roth. And you heard Yoel Roth, and we talked about this a little bit ago. You heard Yoel Roth because, let me pull this up. This was the, they were looking at the, the tweets that were being specifically cited by the administration Call that. Remember, you had Jen Psaki, who was who had the White House press briefing, and she was telling the press that yeah, they've been working with Twitter to take down misinformation, et cetera, et cetera. All of this is centering around that October twentieth suppression immediately of anything related to the New York Post story. And I mean, that's you. I mean, it, arguably, that's an in kind political donation. That's an in kind campaign donation. And so what what Representative Donalds was pointing out is that with these tweets and the first one that he was talking about, that was 1020. That was uh, October 24th in 2020, that there were apparently more to review from the Biden administration that had been you know cited that had been flagged. And then uh, that was, you know, at 539 p.m. And then uh, four hours later, the response came that handled these. And what gets me and that's what. Congressman Donalds pointed out is how do these executives have these specifics? I mean, they don't know who they talk to with the administration, but they have like all of these specifics. They remember all of this. This is wild. And I love the non-consensual images. Nobody forced that man to sit in a deprivation tank with a crack pipe and record himself. Okay, that's not an it's not something that you do accidentally. He chose to do this. So stop using the non-consensual thing. 
Good heavens. This is just crazy. He's going to join us in just a moment, Congressman Donalds. I know that they've been very, very busy uh, out there because we, well, we've been carrying all the oversight hearings and they've been watching all this. We've been watching all this and bringing you the latest. So this, the selective memory, trying to figure out who knew what, who was working with the administration. And then it gets into, and, I, and we're going to get into the, let me pull this up. Catherine Herridge had the letter from Abby Lowell, the attorney for Hunter Biden, who was, uh, the oversight committee reached out, requested some records, and she suggested just, I guess, a little private sit down, a little private sit down with the ranking members on oversight because they, I guess, you know, he's special and I guess the public doesn't need any transparency. Congressman Byron Donalds from the beautiful, sunshiny state of Florida joins us now. Congressman, I so enjoyed seeing you for State of the Union. It was a great time. Uh, I'm so glad that you're joining us today. I got to tell you, you're questioning with Yoel Roth earlier and we played some of that and we've been talking about it that was pretty stunning and you really i think highlighted a main problem with the memory of these executives oh they don't know who they've talked to with the biden administration but they knew exactly the tweets to which you were referring that's a pretty that's an impressive selective memory that they that they put on display there well actually first dana great to be with you um it was very revealing because even as we were going through the different emails uh, at that were going back and forth at Twitter about suppressing this information. I never clicked on the hyperlink. I had no idea what the tweet was even about. For him to remember very clearly, just looking at the the URL was was stunning to me because it is very clear that what they the operation that I think that they set up is they had their various divisions. Every division is siloed in a way where they uh, would probably have some plausible deniability. So nobody can say, oh, well, I didn't know what the left hand was doing. I'm just the right hand. But I think the, the real hardcore truth is Twitter fully knew. The employees at Twitter, the higher ups at Twitter wanted to suppress information that might damage Joe Biden because they wanted him to be president. Yeah. And I think the other piece is you definitely had elements of the DNC in a Biden presidential campaign that were working in concert or in collusion with Twitter, with Facebook, with Google, and these other companies as well. I mean, you could consider this, talking with Congressman Byron Donalds, you could consider this an in-kind political, I mean, at the very least, an in-kind political donation, mm-hmm. to say nothing of them acting as agents of state yet, but at the very least, this is an in-kind political donation. Well, actually, that was a point I made later on in questioning with uh, with Mr. Baker that was there, because I was asking them, like, what kind of value do you put on this level of suppression? If you take a story as damning as not just you know, what Hunter Biden does in his spare time, but the actual business dealings that have been going on in the background for decades with Joe Biden and his son and his brother and how that impacts the the, the potential of a Joe Biden presidency, that's key information for voters to know. To be able to take that out of the political ecosystem is almost invaluable. It's so it's it's all the opposition research campaigns love to have. It was taken completely off the table by social media and the big media followed suit. Yeah, I, I, I saw this letter and I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Abby Lowell, uh, attorney for Hunter Biden, responded to your oversight committee's request for records and suggested a meeting 
to include the committee's ranking member and said that, quote, rather than engage in back back and forth letter writing campaigns or any formal proceedings, I would offer to sit with you and your staff, including the ranking member and his staff, to see whether Mr. Biden has information that may inform some legitimate legislative purpose and be helpful to the committee. She adds, I hope you will engage in this effort, end quote. It sounds like they want uh, some they, they don't want to be transparent. That's that's what I'm getting. I feel like they lost all authority to make any kind of requests like that when you had 51 intelligence agents sign on and say that all of this was misinformation and try to steer an election a certain way. What is your take on this? Uh, my take, number one, is I'm not going to trust anything that he says through these letters that are going to go back and forth. I want to see what he has to say under oath. Um, that's going to be number one. Number two, the the subterfuge that was unleashed during the 2020 elections with these 51 intelligent officers who basically all came to the defense of Joe Biden, that is interfering in an election. That is exactly what they did. As much as Jamie Raskin and the Democrats want to talk about 2016 and Russia collusion, the collusion was happening right here in the United States by elements of the social media company, elements of the campaigns. And you know we got into some other stuff with the FBI, which is going to get unfolded um, in the hearings to come. Ooh, would you send out subpoenas? Would you would you re- demand that they appear if they don't seem very cooperative? Because it seems like uh, Attorney Lowell there is not going to be very cooperative. Um, I would lean that way, but you know the subpoena power lies with the chairman, and I think the chairman has used it judiciously already, trying to find ways where it can actually be used um, and executed. I think. One of the things that's happened on Capitol Hill the last couple of years with Democrat control is they're throwing subpoenas all over the place and they're really wielding this power uh, of of Congress in an inappropriate way. We don't want to do that. We want to make sure that we're investigating appropriately. So if a subpoena is necessary, I don't see why Chairman Comer wouldn't use it. But sometimes just having somebody request, just making a request publicly for them to come in can be as effective. We'll see where it goes from here. Yeah, uh, of course, the State of the Union, as I, I, I said, I'd, I saw you there. It's great to see you and, and talk with you. That was a very interesting State of the Union. And it seemed, it, I, we don't, I don't think we learned anything new about the State of the Union. I, I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on it because it seemed as though, the, I mean, the president didn't touch on the, you know, the spy balloon. He didn't hit on really anything foreign policy. Uh, it was a lot of, you know, tax the rich and... Uh, climate and it was just a really weird weird address what was your take on it what did what did you think of the tenor of the room there well i mean first of all it was a cheer fest for one of the worst uh political and policy agendas in american history the democrats were were happy with everything that he said but it made no sense it sense it was incoherent at one half of the speech he's he's going after big pharma on the second half of the speech, he's praising Big Pharma to help for helping with cancer, his cancer moonshot. He, he touched on the border for like a minute and just moved on as if it's no big deal. Mm. He tried to bring up fentanyl as if he has nothing to do with it. He barely didn't even touch inflation except for his Inflation Reduction Act, which is really the Green New Deal mm. wrapped up in a cool little tile, title. Um, he didn't really get into the meat, energy independence in our country. What's the plan on inflation? What's the plan on spending and the debt ceiling? He didn't touch on any of that. None of that. And then he tried to accuse Republicans of being nefarious actors, of, of, of trying to take away entitlements, which is not true, never been true. Uh, but that's the stuff he's wielding. It was a state of confusion speech for me. Yeah. Because I'm trying to figure out the America, the world that he's operating in, that where all his plans have actually worked. They just have not worked. 
State of confusion. That's a good way. That's a good way to put it. Talking with Congressman Byron Donalds, you mentioned the border as well. You've also noted that massive fourfold increase in illegal entries, four and a half million crossings. And at one point he brought up fentanyl and was talking about some some uh, family up in the box with the first lady. And there were some murmurs of, well, then secure the border, secure the border, because that is where it's where Border Patrol's telling us it's coming through. The cartels are making a lot of money off this. It's just so odd that he didn't tie those two things together. Do you think that at some point, I mean, I would just think it's got to get so bad that it, he's got to at least see some kind of reason and at least fold to compromise and work with with the Republican Party to do something at the because this is it's out of control well the reason why he doesn't want to touch on it is because he's doing this on purpose you know people are saying oh we've always had uh people crossing the border illegally we've we've always had encounters not like this Mm. um it, it didn't happen under president trump president obama president bush not like this this is insane what's happening and it's all being done on purpose by joe biden and then they're trying to clean it up saying oh well we now have a new app and a new protocol where some people can go to, to go, they can go to the legal points of entry at the southern border. Well, all you're doing is 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 spreading the problem out. You're spreading the problem. It's like you know, you spill you know, you spill some wine on your on your on your shirt, and all you're doing is rubbing it around <laughs> to make it like spread out. That's all he's doing is spreading out the problem. He's not solving it. He doesn't want to solve it because his base wants what's happening at the southern border. They want massive asylum claims which most of which are not legitimate asylum claims, but they want this longstanding process because what they understand is once somebody gets in the legal protocol in the United States, that takes eight to 10 years. Most people don't even show up for the second hearing and they're in the United States. And then they'll come out and say, oh, we have all these people here illegally. Uh, We need to give them status. They're working so hard in our country. This is the game from the Democrats. That's why they don't want to touch it. Well, don't want to talk about it which is why Republicans are going to have to find a leverage point somewhere to force his hand to secure the border. Boy, and that's what it comes down to. Congressman Byron Donalds, you've been, I mean, just just straight fire on the Oversight Committee with your questioning and and just really, I mean, we had some of the best sound bites from, from you from your line of questioning on that and really insightful. Uh, I think it's really showing, you know, kind of the, the true faces of these executives. Good to have you on the program. We'd love to have you back. Good to see you at State of the Union. God bless you, my friend. Appreciate what you do. Thanks for having me on, Dana. Do it anytime. Yes, sir. Take care. It's his life mission to make bad decisions. It's time for Florida Man. (laughs) Some of these headlines are ridiculous. Uh, Let's see. Now this, oh man, how do I even, there's a couple of them. Let's start with this Florida man screaming at cast members at Epcot on efficient use of your time oh my gosh i can't even okay so the arrest report dakota horger 27 of lake worth was charged with battery and disorderly conduct uh although i think prosecutors decided last week not to pursue criminal charges he was a badly behaving guest at disney world and, and accused of abusing cast members he was at the rose and crown pub and at the UK Pavilion and Disney and the I guess they complained that he and another woman were causing a scene when a Disney manager intervened. He acted belligerent, loud, appeared to be intoxicated, then refused to leave Disney when they tried to kick him out several times. Uh, and apparently he screamed at Disney security. 
hit one of the security officers with a one of those cardboard poster containers, took off some of his clothes to decide his, to disguise his appearance, said the arrest report, and then screamed, what are you going to do about it after he hit a security officer with said cardboard container? He was taken into custody, of course. Uh, also, this, mm-mm-mm, so many, so much room for activities. This, I, can't, I don't really want to do that one. That one, no. Uh, golly. Or I can do this one. A Ferrari was left hanging in an elevator. I am what? It was a county rescue. It was CBS 12. Apparently, a, a Ferrari was left hanging in an elevator shaft oh, at a car dealership. And when I say hanging in an elevator shaft, I mean vertically. Palm Beach County. They had to, re- they had to go and help uh, and handle a fuel leak. They had to cut power to the business and everything. It took four hours to get the car out of the shaft. There were no injuries. Oh. Oh, my gosh. There are injuries to my soul because of the damage of the Ferrari. Third hour on the way. Stay with us. D at Twitter, your ability, or should I say inability, to remove child porn. Now, here's something that disgusts me about you. In your doctoral dissertation entitled Gay Data, you argued that minors should have access to Grindr, an adult male gay hookup app. Minors? Really? You know, Elon Musk took over Twitter and he banned 44,000 accounts that were promoting child porn. You permanently banned my Twitter account, but you allowed child child porn all over Twitter. Mm. Twitter had become a platform, you said, connecting queer young adults. You also wrote on Twitter in 2010, can high school students ever meaningfully... I mean, the stuff that she's saying is true that she's that she's pointing out that was marjorie taylor green in the oversight hearing none of that's false i mean it's there's no consistency and if you there's i mean literally no consistency at all whatsoever i mean it's it's uh that's part of the huge problem and it shows an absolute bias welcome to the program top of our third hour dana lash here with you and this ongoing it's been a very eye-opening very eye-opening uh series of questions and answers and i was telling you earlier that hunter Biden's attorney is trying to fight off any kind of records requests from the oversight committee whether or not she's going to be successful in doing that remains to be seen i thought that byron donald's response was very interesting when he i asked him i said if she's not going to cooperate i mean is there a chance that you can then subpoena her And he was saying that he felt that Comer, Representative Comer, had been very judicious in his use of that. Uh, And then he also cited how Democrats just subpoenaed everything that blinked, uh, which I understand. I do want answers on this, though. Uh, And so we'll see how we're going to see because it's still ongoing today. Now they're talking about the weaponization of the DOJ. Now, here's another story I want to get into because this started circulating yesterday and there's a big Daily Mail piece. And... I had this up earlier on the program, but we're going to, I want to bring it in now because we've been covering so many things here. This um, issue of the Nord Stream 1 pipeline. There, you guys remember the whole story that took place when I think it was earlier this year when the pipeline the Nord Stream 1 pipeline, something happened. Something happened. There was, you know, whether it was an earthquake or what, nobody knew, nobody knew what happened at the time. 
and it began leaking and it was non-serviceable, etc. Well, now the United States is being accused of carrying out, along with apparently Norway, uh, an attack, top secret attack uh, on this Nord Stream 1 pipeline. Russia's pointing the finger at the United States. They think the repairs are going to cost $500 million. The Nord Stream project took about $20 billion in 15 years to construct. So this individual, and I don't know a lot about this person. Now, remember, we're, you know, everything's an info op. Remember that. Seymour Hirsch, this guy, he's a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. It's a report. It set, cites a source with, quote, direct knowledge of the operational planning behind the alleged plot. The White House and the CIA flatly rejected the report on Wednesday. They said it was complete fiction. Nord Stream 1 and 2 were sabotaged, apparently just sabotaged, by bomb blasts on September 26. Uh, that apparently is baffling people. Uh, the analysts say the immediate attack, the impact was limited because the pipelines were not fully operational and the geopolitical consequences. I mean, obviously, we're still talking about it. Now, that pipeline, Nord Stream 1, runs all the way from Narva Bay up in Russia, uh, and it goes over Estonia and Latvia, you know, the the NATO nations that border Russia, that some of the NATCON say don't border Russia, uh, and, and goes through uh, all the way over to Germany. And there was it was September of 22. Sorry, the first one was September 22. And the report says that U.S. Navy divers planted the explosives three months earlier in June before they were remotely detonated. And they said that it was uh, obviously top secret and highly dangerous operation there in the Baltic Sea. And it was carried out in conjunction or with the association of 16 other NATO countries. And they used the highly publicized 13-day uh, NATO event. It was during uh, Ball B A L T O P S twenty two series of exercises in the Baltic Sea that was that was carried out. They used that as cover, apparently, is what the report says. Now the White House said it was quote false and complete fiction. CIA said the claim is completely and utterly false. Uh, now in February, everyone cited Biden as saying the U S would bring an end to Nord Stream if Russia invaded Ukraine, and he was doing a joint conference with German Chancellor Olaf Scholz and that's Biden had literally said quote if Russia invades there will no longer be Nord Stream 2 we'll bring an end to it and then when he was asked how he'd do it he they said he responded cryptically I promise you we'll be able to do it so that was Nord Stream 2 but Nord Stream 1 is the pipeline that that they that was apparently damaged so there's a big I've seen a lot of I just I give people caution on this kind of stuff. I give people caution because I see a lot of uh, I don't know, even like right leaning folks going out and saying, oh, Russia's a victim. Russia's a victim. Russia's a victim. This is so mean. Poor Russia. Poor Russia. Before you start, before anyone thinks that, remember that they were gleefully using their pipelines and gas, I warned everybody, I was t- not me, just me, I was like telling you the obvious, everybody knew this. They were using their energy, the gas, as, uh, as a weapon. They were weaponizing this, threatening Germany, threatening Europe, uh, you know, keeping them out of any kind of conflict with Ukraine, and basically bullying them into certain positions that were advantageous for Russia through this deal that they have with energy. I mean, remember, they were constructing the Nord Stream 2 pipeline so as to not have Ukraine be an accessory energy state. I mean, it was basically making they were part of uh, Russia's energy structure because one of their lines had to go through a portion of Ukraine. And that's one of the reasons why with Nord Stream 2, 
they were trying to get this off the ground so that Ukraine didn't have that kind of protection anymore. We were talking all about this. And so they have been weaponizing this. It's really hard to claim that you're the victim when you've been weaponizing it knowing, knowingly, gleefully, not very secretively either this entire time. And I've seen a, some people on the right forget that when they're talking about this potentially true or false story. Nobody knows. I mean, the White House and the CIA, who I don't trust at all, say that it didn't happen. Maybe it did. Maybe it didn't. Either way, I don't feel that Russia's a victim in any of it. Kind of hard to look at it like that. I mean, when you FAFO enough, then you do find out. I mean, that's, you know, when you F.A., you do F.O. It's kind of how it works. And so this, um, the Russian foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, he's the one who accused uh, earlier this month, he was saying they were involved. Now they're fully saying, oh, the United States was involved in this. Russia's chief diplomat had uh, said that Victoria Nuland, who is the U.S. Undersecretary of State for Political Affairs, uh, they, when she hailed the destruction of the pipeline, the under, the she, Lavrov said that her words were basically a confession. Goodness, and so there's this 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 pretty wild report, and it gets into it. I'm gonna, I'll have this in the email newsletter when you go to Substack and subscribe to Chapter and Verse, because it it gets into. I mean, he he says that this 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 Nord Stream, oh, this Nord Stream two. The that this you know attack on this that yeah they went over and it was done under a NATO maritime exercise very interesting but again I go back to it's really difficult to see them to see Russia as victims right I mean I don't they say oh this is gross sabotage etc cetera, etc cetera. some there were some that were saying that maybe even Russia did it potentially. Now, I've seen some reporting say that Nord Stream, they, they're confusing Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2. But bottom line is it's just very difficult, again, to believe that they're the victims. They're the ones who moved tanks and troops in. They're the ones who went, went in and invaded Crimea. They wanted to have Stavispol. They're the ones who invaded Ukraine. They're the ones who have been the aggressors in all of this. They're the ones who were using their energy as a weapon. And now... Because now they want to say, well, one of our pipelines was damaged. We're the victims. I, I think people need to remember the, 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 chronologi- the, the chronological order of all of these events here. So that's going to be something interesting to keep an eye on. Now, the House panel is holding hearings on oversight weaponization of Justice Department. That's the phase that they're in now. Uh, and I know Chuck Grassley, I think, was just asking some questions. And the weaponization of the DOJ, as you remember, they've been targeting everybody from parents who speak out at uh, school board meetings and good, good heavens. And so the one of the things that's going to come up, uh, John, Senator Ron Johnson, he's testifying before the committee today because he's talking about the roadblocks that he had said that he had faced from government agencies during his investigation into Hunter Biden. He was saying that all of these these different bureaucratic agencies were essentially preventing him from getting any kind of information, any kind of clarity, anything. And so they uh, they're they're going to have a couple of uh, the, a former FBI special agent's going to testify as well, and that's all happening today. It's all ongoing, and they're going to see. It's interesting how your parents who spoke out at school board meetings were considered 
to be dangerous enough to be classified as terrorists. But my heavens, you can sit here and have the president of the United States, his son, leaving all this laptop with all of these very compromising emails, not just about him, but about his family finances, just leaving it out. I mean, that's a it's a nat sec issue because he apparently put made all his videos and did all his business on the same laptop. Who knew? Golly, there's we have still a lot on the list. I want to make sure I'm getting to everything. We have some audio, too, because this has been it's been a very news packed couple of days. Now, I wanted to switch gears and get into audio soundbite 16. Bill Gates, he was asked about his use of a private jet while he's this climate advocate. And this is how he tried to rationalize it. Listen. Well, I I buy the gold standard of funding Climeworks to do direct air capture that far exceeds my family's carbon footprint. And I spend billions of dollars on, on climate innovation. So, you know, should I stay at home and not come to Kenya and learn about farming and malaria? I'm comfortable with the idea that not only am I not part of the problem by paying for the offsets, but I also through the billions that my Breakthrough Energy Group. Oh, he's got billions, so he can pay it. He can he can do all these stupid he can do all these other these things and do the stupid climate credits. He can do those as an indulgence. See, you can't because you're not rich. Are you a billionaire? Because only billionaires are able to be hypocrites. What if, it's, I, if you have a lot of money, you're not a hypocrite. What if I identify as a billionaire? Not the same thing. I don't know. I think it is. If you don't have the money, then you're you're a hypocrite. If you have the money, it washes the hypocrisy away. So coming up, uh, we got some border issues to discuss. But also, have you heard about this very interesting story? Two New Jersey Republicans, council people, fatally shot. Some are wondering, is this an assassination? A second Republican New Jersey council member was shot and killed yesterday, a week after the first was shot outside of her home. I'm interesting because the first one, the the woman, the woman Republican, I just thought the squad would say something. She's a black female Republican councilwoman. There's a lot of questions coming up. Just two, yeah, Yakum's razor typically applies in situations like this. And now, all of the news you would probably miss. It's time for Dana's Quick Five, brought to you by Caltech. New st- a new survey from Columbia University in New York says an anti-inflammatory drug can turn back time, so to speak, and make aging blood young again, possibly increasing the human lifespan by decades. The PhD, the director of the Columbia Stem Cell Initiative, said in a university release that, quote, an aging blood system, because it's a vector for a lot of proteins, uh, cells, has a lot of bad consequences for the organism. Uh, they said that a 7-year-old with a 40-year-old blood system could have a longer health span if not lifespan that's interesting so they reverse some of the effects of aging on that system and i guess they're it, it they discuss it's an anti-inflammatory drug that's approved for the use in rheumatoid arthritis cases and they ended up having just like studying like accidentally finding this so very interesting indeed also uh msnbc and nbc staffers are threatening to walk out over layoffs the NBC Guild, the Guild, said Wednesday that approximately 300 workers plan to walk off the job at 11 a.m. Uh, in protest of the layoffs. They say that in three years of bargaining their first contract, they accused NBC News of repeatedly breaking the law and cutting union salaries, etc. So we'll see how that, I, nobody will miss them if they do. Nobody will. Jupiter now has 92 moons after a new discovery. 
They Jupiter already reigns as king of the planets, the largest one in the solar system, and now it has the most known moons, too. They've observed 12 additional moons orbiting Jupiter, bringing the total number to 92. That discovery was made during observations uh, by astronomer Scott Shepard of the Carnegie Institution for Science. And in New Zealand, $300 million of cocaine was found just floating at sea. It was dumped at a, quote, floating transit point in the Pacific Ocean, where it would have been picked up and transported to Australia. Police said that they recovered three and a half tons of cocaine, enough to supply New Zealand for 30 years. They said it was the largest find of illicit drugs by New Zealand's agencies uh, pretty much ever. Stay with us because Rodney Scott, who was, is former chief border patrol under two administrations, joins us on what's south of the border. Stay with us. Want a behind-the-scenes look at The Dana Show? Subscribe to Dana's chapter and verse newsletter for a deeper dive in all things Dana at DanaLash.com. Trafficking is a problem, but do you think it's appropriate to blame the, put the entire thing on President Biden and say, it's your fault, in front of a father who lost his daughter to that? If trafficking of fentanyl is up because of the president's changes, it is his fault. Who are we going to blame? Are you going to blame members of Congress? Are you, you going to blame the father? You're not going to do that. The president made unilateral changes. The drug cartels have operational control with respect to drug trafficking because of the president has weakened our border agents' hands. Those are the facts. Don't I think blaming the entire fentanyl crisis on Biden is a stretch. But I'll move on. It's true. In fact, crossings just in the fiscal year of 2022 alone were almost at three million. I mean, it seems every year the record is breaking. Fentanyl seizures at the border continue to spike. Apparently, San Diego is now the national epicenter for fentanyl trafficking, according to new data. Welcome back to the show. Dana Lash here with you. You can listen coast to coast on an affiliate near you. You can stream. You can also watch the simulcast, Facebook, YouTube, or the first direct TV channel 349. Joining me right now on this is Rodney Scott, 24th, was the, he was, he's, uh, was the 24th chief of the United States Border Patrol under two different presidential administrations, Trump and Biden, uh, having left office in uh, August of 2021. And he joins us now because you got really good insight on all of this. You, you know this all firsthand. And this comes on the heels, too, Rodney, of the administration now with new policies. You have the fast track the quote-unquote parole processing of people who are illegally entering and now hundreds of thousands of illegal entrants crossing in. Now they could see mass portations of non-Mexicans to Mexico, but everyone else, this is a mess. <laughs> Thank you, Dan, for having me on today. I think that's a perfect uh, synopsis. This is a mess, and this is a national security threat to our country because we no longer know who or what is entering our country because we've given control to the cartels. Mm. The representative is absolutely 100% accurate when he says that. Yeah, Talking about the cartels for a moment, because it's not an understatement to to say that they control literally everything that goes across the border. I mean, they are in complete control of all of northern Mexico and everything that goes over into the United States, correct? Yeah, correct. And for for your listeners out there, they kind of really understand what that means. It doesn't mean Chapo Guzman has it. They, They have a network. It goes all the way down to what we call plaza bosses, and they literally control all of the, the terrain along the southwest border. And anything that gets near or crosses that border has to do so with their permission or risk death. There's just, I mean, it's that blatant. They, they own and control everything that crosses that border. 
that uh, which is because I, I'm glad that you explained that because I think a lot of people they don't realize necessarily what that actually looks like because it seems like the Mexican government's terrified of the cartels. I mean they they can't really do anything to 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 stop what they're doing because now it's not just drugs it's human trafficking as well. They're making a lot of money at this so there's a lot of incentive for their cartels to keep exploiting the you know the federal the federal government's inability to enforce the law at the border or expand our resources or add more border patrol. Correct. And just to touch on that for a minute, you know, please don't take this lightly because it's real, but there's a saying in Mexico, silver or lead. And, and it is real that basically you take the cartel's money or you face being murdered after your family and children are murdered. And, and I don't take light of that. That's a real threat to the government officials. I still, there are still officials that stand up and try to do the right thing, but it's getting harder and harder to really separate the cartel and the actual government just because of that amount of violence of, against the government or monetary influence. And that's why many of us are talking about, we really need to go after the cartels, similar to how we do the terrorist organizations around the world. They are a real threat. I, we're talking with Rodney Scott, who uh, was working with San Diego Border Patrol. He's a former San Diego Border Patrol chief, uh, ran Border Patrol as well uh, under Trump and Biden, respectively. The policy changes, there have been quite a bit since Biden has assumed office. I wanted to ask you, just the difference in your job between those two administrations. Give people some insight into that. So to, to summarize, and, and the past administration versus the current administration gets a lot of attention, but I want everybody to know that is not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about 30 years, of, almost 30 years mm-hmm. of my career, multiple different administrations versus the current administration, mm-hmm. because it wasn't just the Trump administration that actually cared about border security. It was the Obama administration, the Clinton administration, the Bush administration. Every president that I'd worked under before was trying to trying to secure our borders, and we were getting better and better and better at it. The minute that the Biden administration, really even during the campaign, but the minute that the president was inaugurated, everything flipped. And it was all about processing people as quickly as possible and releasing them into the United States so that you didn't have a visual of a backlog at the border. We tried to explain to them that that's just going to create an incentive for the next wave, even bigger and better, bigger and worse, actually, to to come across. And that's exactly what's happened. If you look at the policies, every single policy that actually deters illegal activity in any way or makes border patrol agents more effective at actually patrolling the border and identifying threats has been reversed. And everything, all the money that is currently being spent is being redirected towards processing facilities, improving computer systems to process people faster. And then uh, as of late, like another $800 million grant uh, to non-governmental organizations to provide shelter and feeding for migrants instead of actually trying to secure the border and simply make sure that we know who and what is entering our country. Mm. It's a complete reversal, not just from the Trump administration, but really from the from the beginning of Border Patrol back in 1924 until now, uh, the Biden administration basically wiped out all that progress. A lot of progress wiped out. It, it seems like he should have talked more about that at the State of the Union address. And obviously he did. And he touched on it briefly and then moved on to something else that had to have been disappointing. It was very disappointing, but not shocking because this is intentional. So he's not going to call it a failure. They campaigned on an open border. They have a plan. I do believe they're acting on their plan. This is not incompetence or accidental. This is an intentional plan that they're carrying out each day. They, I think the reason that, the, that we keep talking past each other, like in the political realm, mm-hmm. is they don't see this as a problem. 
they literally do not see this as a problem. They're doing nothing to try to slow it down. But anybody that understands the sustainable security, the, the security that Americans want and deserve, understands that you just can't let anybody pour across into our home without them being vetted on a daily basis. True. Absolutely but, true. Yeah. Talking with Rodney Scott, 24th chief of the U.S. Border Patrol under Trump and Biden. He left uh, in August of 21. I want to touch on for a moment the, the, all the, the asylum talk, because whenever you hear the president or the vice president or really any Democrat elected official, they act like every single person who's coming over the border is fleeing some sort of, you know, horrific government uh, and they're asylum seekers and they need to go through the process. That's not how the process works, though. You don't go to the country to which you're seeking asylum and then file. You always do it in your country first. This is one of the things I know that you've touched on uh, previously, but this is one of the things that Biden's changing that's not going to help anything at all. Talk to us about that. Correct. So so I want to break apart refugee versus asylum. Right. So refugee, you usually apply from your country. But by definition, asylum, you're fleeing. You're trying to run away from some type of imminent danger. There's a classification, though. It's, it's, they call it political asylum for a minute, for a reason. It's got to be like government persecution because of a protected class. It is not to do with economics. But the minute you're safe, you're supposed to be safe. So that should be the very first country that you arrive in. Mm. Um, and that's what the last administration, we were setting up agreements. We call them safe third country agreements. But basically, we are working with Guatemala, El Salvador, Mexico, um, many different countries to make sure if someone was fleeing some kind of persecution, we could get them to a safe location. But that should be the first safe country. You shouldn't be able to country shop, nation shop to, to get what, whatever you want. With that said, they, the, a lot of the crossings currently, and, and this, there's some dynamics here, but a lot of the crossings currently, the migrants have been coached and taught to say when asked by a border patrol agent that they fear going back to their country and or that they fear going back to Mexico. When you dig into that, though, and, and by the way, that's the first bar. That, that means they get put aside and then hand it off to an asylum officer for a credible fear hearing. That process is what they keep talking about, but it's not, it doesn't meet, the economics doesn't meet the criteria of, of asylum. So if you walk down that path until the very end when a judge looks at the case, over 90% of the quote-unquote asylum claims are deemed uh, either fraudulent or they just don't meet the criteria, and they're ordered removed. Mm. But the problem is there's no ICE ERO allowed in that courtroom, so they just walk out. And then under the current administration's priority memo, they are not a priority for arrest because they haven't done anything except enter the country illegally. So less than 6% of those people ever leave. But the, the Remain in Mexico program, by the way, made sure that even if your claim was completely frivolous, you got your day in court, you got an opportunity to see a judge, but you could not be released into the country until a judge made a decision. Wow. And as soon as they knew that there was integrity in the system and they weren't going to get released, most of them went home. That was a big part of how we secured the border in the last administration. We got rid of a lot of the clutter by putting integrity back into the asylum process. The other thing that that really did is it actually let us get to the people that really truly need help, mm -hmm. need asylum. They're fleeing persecution, and it allowed us to help them with the legal process now they're way back in the line somewhere we can't even get to and that's them. the sad part because there are legitimately individuals who are fleeing for their lives it's a small number of folks but they do exist and now it's like they you know, they just got to get back and like you just said they don't it doesn't seem like as you know they matter because now everybody can be that even if they're not uh one last uh question for you because i was actually shocked that san diego was the epicenter that that this that these border seizures uh for fentanyl 
I just, I don't know why, but it just sort of shocked me because, you know, California, you have a lot of laws that apparently doesn't really do a lot of stuff. Uh, the National Epicenter for Fentanyl Trafficking, because of these, the uh, cross, because all this coming over the border, it spiked this year. Uh, and we have a major opioid epidemic since, and I know a lot of different administrations have contributed to this. Uh, I definitely don't lay it at the feet of one. And I think that almost every single administration and some, you know, could have done, you know, maybe a little bit more, could have done something. But I wanted to talk a little bit about this because, you know, here we have an opioid crisis in the United States. Fentanyl seizures continue to spike. You know, the president talked about the fentanyl crisis at the State of the Union address, noted a family in the first lady's box, didn't even mention that it's because of the open border, that that's why this has been allowed to increase as such. How much has it been allowed to increase? So I, I want to clear a few things up. So San Diego does have the most seizures. Seizures, okay. That is that is often portrayed as the most traffic, but no one knows. So I want to remind everybody: you got to back up to the '90s, and oh, then man. right after CBP was created, we in the strat the, the border security strategy really started was built out in trial and error in San Diego. You might remember the proto the border wall prototypes; they mm-hmm. were in San Diego for a reason. That is where we started reestablishing control of the border. They have more border infrastructure between the ports of entry, meaning meaning a border wall, mm-hmm. technologies and cameras than almost anywhere else in the country. And we invested, meaning CBP, millions of dollars in, in improving the technology and the detection capabilities at the ports of entry. But by forcing the traffic, and you have the Sinaloa cartel to the south, there's a lot in the Tijuana cart, legacy Tijuana cartel. But basically, you have that big city, right? So you have a lot of infrastructure that you always, they always want to try to cross through there. But here's the deal. They have to meet a CBP officer. They're going to meet a law enforcement officer and be inspected. You're definitely going to have a higher number of seizures there. But the only reason that they're going through that port is because we made it very difficult to go around it. Hmm. Break. Currently, oh, by the way, the same cartels that operate at the ports of entry operate in between the ports of entry. All they're trying to do is push their commodity, whether it be people right. uh, or whether it be goods, through the easiest mechanisms. So if you go a little bit farther to the east, all of a sudden the border wall got shut off. We have hundreds of miles of border. We're used to. We patrolled it through agents. But now those agents have been pulled off and they're dealing with or processing these fraudulent asylum seekers. And the cartel uses that. They get good, big groups of illegal aliens, they push them across in remote areas, and that wipes out all Border Patrol's logistics. It literally wipes out all the law enforcement that they have in the area. And then the second wave comes through untouched. Those are what we, con, we call gotaways. Mm. I also need to highlight, though, we only know about the gotaways in places we have technology once the agents pull out, and there's still hundreds of miles, there's no technology. So the seizures at the ports are important, but what came through when the cartel systematically and intentionally overwhelmed the border patrol agents created these huge gaps and several trucks drove across. Wow. I believe, I believe that there is no shortage of fentanyl, heroin, or cocaine in any major city in the United States. I agree. We need to talk about what's getting away and how we don't even know what's crossing through sections of border and stop focusing so much on the known. The knowns are huge successes. We know it because we've invested in a strategy that this administration has completely walked away from. But we could be getting those same seizures in other places and then actually reducing the availability of these drugs and driving the price of the drugs up if we would secure the rest of that board. This is just amazing. Just the way that this is just, gosh, there's so many things that we could do. Uh, Gosh, Rodney Scott. 
appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for just giving us some insight into just, you know, how this came to be, how it's happening, how it's continuing to get worse. And hopefully we can we can get it solved. That would be that would be nice. I know you would like that. And I know all the awesome border agents that are there. I've seen the ground that they got to run. I can't even imagine doing that job and the stress of it with all the, the ground you have to cover day in and day out. We appreciate what you do. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. We had a plan. We handed it to the current administration and they threw it away. There you go. That's sad. That's sad. It's everybody's loss. Everybody's loss. Rodney Scott, appreciate you. Thank you so much. Horrible. It does horrible loss. It's amazing. Listen to the Dana Show live on the Odyssey app. Weekdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern Time. There's this headline I saw at the Daily Beast that I thought was actually kind of dumb. It says, can we slow climate change by shooting dust at the sun? And I thought about this. We were actually had a big old nice dinner table discussion about it because the sun's activity drives, I mean, the solar flares, the all of this. And wouldn't, I mean, dust impede the cosmic rays creation of clouds? And isn't cloud cover like one of the problems that we would be facing? So how does that actually solve anything? I mean, granted, I only have like, you know, basic college freshman level meteorology but i just think that you know basic science mm. all right today's stupidity came all right it is a delicate delegate stacy plaska democrat from the virgin islands she's telling us what speech isn't protected under the constitution listen to this continually use the moniker of protecting free speech that sounds good i hope they all recognize that there is speech that is not constitutionally protected. Yeah, like slander, Racist, defamation. hate, what? incitement to violence. And I also... Uh, mm, yeah, fire in a credit theater, hate. a bad Sorry. ruling that was overturned 60-something years ago in Bradenburg v. Ohio. Folks, that does it for us tonight. Sign up on Substack, Chapter and Verse. Find us on Facebook, YouTube. Have a great night. Back with you tomorrow.